Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica and as always I am joined by my favorite ghoul friend Tara. Hey spooksters. Today we're doing another patron select. We are tackling the very interesting story of Marie Laveau. I am really excited about this. I am a fan of American Horror Story, so I know the story through there. I don't know a ton about, I didn't know, I do now know (laughs) a ton about her. So I am excited to share what I have. I want to do a little disclaimer up front. Marie Laveau was born during the time in the U.S. where there was slavery. She was a mixed race woman. And I just want to have the disclaimer that I can't do this case without talking about race. I have spent an incredible amount of time, look up every word I didn't know that related to something. Just like if I looked at it and I was like, what does this word mean? I put a lot of time in like, should I say this? Should I not say this? But if I say something in this episode that I don't understand because I am not mixed race or a person of color, I would like there to be some like gracious education attached to it. I'm more than excited to read articles that you may have explaining why things are the way they are. Both Tara and I are, we very much like to learn. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to put that out there and I'm hoping that I do that community, you know, justice and that I'm not saying anything that is offensive. 100%. Okay, so with that, this episode was a, like I said, it was a patron select. It was selected by one of our patrons, Christy. Thank you so much for picking this episode. If you want an episode like Christy, head to the link tree in the show notes and zoom over to Patreon because it'll tell you all about it. But I'm really excited to get in. So Christy, thank you because I learned a lot doing this research. Nice. I'm excited. So Marie Catherine Laveau was born September 10th, 1801. Some say 1794. That's a big gap. Yeah, that's like, what, seven, eight years? I can't number today, guys. In real time, I've fucked up numbers so much. Seven. Seven Okay, I was on point with this one. (laughs) Some Obviously, like, when I looked it up, there was a specific date, September 10th, that's pretty specific. Some records say that there is no record of her birth and that she just started existing. Oh, okay. And it may be in 1801 and it may be in 1794, so who the hell knows? But she is the biological daughter of Charles Trudeau and her mother, Marguerite Darkentel. Sorry, I am so sorry. I mispronounced that so wrong. Her mother, Marguerite, was a freed slave and the mistress of Charles Laveau, or Charles Trudeau, and I'll tell you about the name switching in a minute, who was a wealthy mixed-race man. 
There is an actual really, really good YouTube video out there that kind of explains the topic of free slave culture in New Orleans. I'm not going to really go into that, but it's in our sources link on our page on our website. That's something that you're interested in because there is... It's a lot different than I understood slavery in America. Definitely check it out. I will put little stars by it. So like asterisks. So you'll be like, oh, that one. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Marguerite and Charles were having, it was an affair. Like they were having an affair. When Margaret gave birth to Marie, she gave her to her mother, Catherine, because she actually gave birth in her house. This was prior to hospitals. And then once Marie was born, Marguerite was like, bye, and went back with Charles. So Marie was raised by her grandmother. Gotcha. Who is very impressive. And if you watch that video that I just mentioned, it talks about how, like, she worked, like, freed herself and then got property and then built a cottage. Catherine, in my opinion, is very, very, like, amazing. So Marie's grandfather is Charles Laveau Trudeau who was the Severe General of the Spanish Louisiana for about 20 years, and he resigned in 1805. A few years after that, he served as the recorder and as the president of the New Orleans City Council. The mayor at the time was named James Mather, and then he resigned, and Charles Trudeau became interim mayor and then eventually mayor. So she was alive during the time her grandfather, who was a white man, was mayor of New Orleans. So you're probably wondering why Charles's father's name was like Charles Laveau Trudeau and then Charles was just Charles Laveau. Mm-hmm. Well, the Laveau name was passed down through women of the family or illegitimate sons. So Charles was actually illegitimate son, hence his mixed background. Marie's ethnicity was actually more diverse than just white and black. Her racial heritage was African, Native American, and French descent. Nice. Yeah. Then she grew up. There wasn't a lot known about her life. She is Catholic. I want people to know that. Marie was Catholic. On August 4th, 1819, she married a man by the name of Jacques Perry, or Jack Paris, as I was saying earlier to Thomas, <laughs> or he had another name. His name was Jacques Santiago, and he was a Creole free man of color. He fled as a refugee from the Haitian Revolution and came over from the former French colony of Santo Domingo. Their marriage certificate is actually preserved in the St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans. And I just want to always be like Nolens because <laughs> I just love that. I love the that particular accent. Yeah. Me too. The mass was performed by Father Antonio de Sadella, and he was a Capuchin priest known as Pierre Antonio, which I was like, what does that mean? That sounds super fancy. And I looked it up, and it's the Order of the Friars of the Minor Capuchin, which is a religious order of the Franciscan friars within the Catholic Church. The Capuchins arose in 1525 with the purpose of returning to a stricter observance of the rule and established by Francis Assisi in 1209. Hmm, okay. To say they were very Catholic was to say they were very Catholic. <laughs> you want to know something funny? What? You said Assisi. That was literally the name of my freshman dorm room or dorm building. <laughs> Didn't you go to a Catholic school? I mean, no, it wasn't really. It was private, Uh, but it wasn't religious. But that's weird. I don't know. But it was also in Maine. So maybe who knows? It was A-S-S-I-S-I. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so weird. (laughs) Yeah. So here's the really fun thing. They had two daughters who just vanished from the world. Oh, God. Ooh. So there's actually like there was like birth announcements or like records. 
Some accounts say there were birth records. Some say they were just like, everyone knew that they had these two daughters. There is a, like a baptism for one of their daughters. So they're like, oh, there's a baptism record. So at least we know they're there. But how the baptism record is even reconciled throughout history has way more to do with the fact that Jacques just quote unquote, died. Mm. Okay, so this is my thought with the daughters, right? So it's assumed that they died or they never existed, but they were just literally gone from like historical records after 1820. Like there's no mention of them after 1820. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Jacques Santiago Paris, he was a carpenter. Like I said, his death was supposedly in 1820, but the rumor was good old Jackie boy ran off and left Marie. Ooh. She was very proud and this has been widely debated because they were like Marie Laveau was said to be beautiful because she was mixed raced and not just like white and black, but she had the Native American mm-hmm. in her. She was said to be very beautiful. Like she was the beauty standard. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So people were like, well, why would he leave her? She's gorgeous. They have children. They're happy. So he must have died. Also, she started calling herself the Widow Paris. Ah. So super dramatic. Yes. But they think he actually just ran away because there's actually the only record of him being dead is the fucking baptismal Hmm. certificate where states he's dead. Weird. Right. And like, at first I was like, when the girls disappeared, I was like, I mean... Like, maybe they just didn't have enough money to properly bury them. And so I was like, that makes sense. But then I was like, no, no, they're both extremely Catholic. Both Marie and Jacques were extremely Catholic. And there are, like, rules around burial in Catholicism. So I'm like, no, if she was that devout, like, if they belong to this, like, super Catholic group or congregation, there would be some record. So I think he just up and vanished. And maybe he up and vanished with the kids. Quite possibly, yeah. But don't feel bad for our future voodoo queen of New Orleans because she met herself another man, a better man. His name is, oh my God, his name is so fucking French, guys, (laughs) is Jean-Louis Christophe Dami de Capillon. Or as he's known as Christophe Dominique Domi de Capilan. Yeah, he got a long ass name. Yeah. And we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna call him Luis. That works. Because I don't want to do that. So basically <laughs> what it is, right? So they met in 1826 and they fell in love and he became the placage husband of Marie Laveau. And I was like, what the fuck is the placage husband? And this is where my education went in. So reading the definition with slight altercation of adding other definitions into this, this came straight from Wiki, guys, because I don't want people to be like, Jessica made this up. She didn't. <laughs> Okay, placage was a recognized extra-legal system, which extra-legal means above the authority of the law. I learned a new word today. There you guys go. I've learned several new words today, actually. So So it was an extra-legal system, meaning beyond the authority of law, in the French and Spanish slave colonies of North America, including the Caribbean, by which ethnic European men entered into civil unions with non-Europeans of African, Native American, and mixed-race descent. The term comes from the French placer, meaning the place with. The women were not legally recognized as their wives, but they were called places. The relationships were recognized among free people of color and their marriages, and I'm going to butcher this because it's French, and then I'm going to tell you what it means in English. It's marriage to the main good, I don't know how to say it, but it meant left-hand marriages. So I was like, what the fuck is a left-hand marriage? 
the term is most used is when someone who is not of royal blood marries into a royal family. Mm. And then their heirs are not given the same titles or benefit of other children. So perfect example is of Harry and Meghan. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's who I instantly thought of. Mm hmm. Archie cannot be, it's not that they're being mean to Archie, it's that because Megan is not of royal descent or have any kind of anything, that's why. Okay. I learned something today. <laughs> Yay! I learned a lot of things today, yeah. So this practice became institutionalized with contracts or negotiations that would settle property on the women, like so, like Marie, and her children, and in some cases would actually grant freedom to enslaved women, which I thought, like, that's cool. Like, they could be free. Mm -hmm. The system flourished in the Spanish and French colonial period and ended in 1803, which in 1803, we know that Louisiana was, well, I should say not, it didn't end, but that's when the period ended, I should say. The practice continued on, obviously, because this is 1826. But in 1803, just for you history buffs out there, it's when we, the United States, made the Louisiana Purchase from Napoleon. And yeah. Hmm. Okay, okay. So a little extra fun fact for you guys there today. <laughs> so Louis, he was a white man of noble descent, of noble French descent. So here's where the, like, again, this is like where some people are like, they had seven children. And other people are like, they had 15 children. But I will say the one common thread in this is that it is always described as rapid succession. So they like bunnies. So she either gave birth to seven or 15 children. We don't know. But only two daughters would survive. And a lot of this had to do with there was a yellow fever outbreak in New Orleans. Mm. And they think this is why some of them died. The two daughters who lived were both named Marie. Weird. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. But the younger one would become Laveau's successor. If you know the story, you know that there was a Marie Laveau II. That would be the younger of the Maries. Which, I'm sorry, that would be very confusing if you had two. I hope they went by, like, nicknames. Hopefully. Because it'd be, like, two of them. <laughs> but again, just yelling out the back door, Marie, come to dinner, would be very nice because they'd both come. <laughs> True, true. The family lived in the original French section of New Orleans, better known as the French Quarter, which is very, very famous. And the cottage is still at St. Anne Street between Rampart and Burgundy. In fact, I'll tell you the address later. It's on Burgundy. It was built in 1789 by Marie's grandmother. So this is the house that Marie like grew up in. And basically when Catherine died, she gave it to Marie with a little sum of money. However, when Marie and Louis entered into their essentially common law marriage and they moved into the house, the property became Louis's. Gotcha. When he died, in fact, the property was seized because he had made several bad business decisions and a friend of theirs actually bought the house back and let them live there. Oh, that's nice, at least. So now we're going to get into what you really came to hear about is Marie and her voodoo. Let's do it. You do? I do what? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Marie was a dedicated practitioner of voodoo as well as a healer and an herbalist. According to a young boy in New Orleans, he said, Laveau was said to have traveled the streets like she owned them. Get it? Get it? Yes. <laughs> when she was married to Jacques, the family needed more money, so she started a beauty parlor. 
which is very interesting because in the American Horror Story version, she owns a beauty parlor. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's fantastic. But once she had the two girls, she ended up having to retire. So it was like she retired, but then like she still maintained the relationships she made there. She catered to wealthy white women and wealthy Creole women. She would talk to all of their servants, too, to get the lowdown on them, which comes in handy later because she would be like, I think that you're having problems with your husband because somebody told her. (laughs) (laughs) She was crafty. I love her. When she retired, she began to focus on the practice of voodoo, specifically Louisiana voodoo, because there is a difference, which is also known as New Orleans voodoo and is a set of spiritual beliefs and practices developed from traditional African disparia in Louisiana. It is sometimes referred to as Mississippi Valley voodoo when referring to its historical popularity and develop in the greater Mississippi Valley. It is a cultural form of Afro-American religions developed by the West and Central African populations in the U.S. state of Louisiana. Voodoo is one of the incarnations of an African-based spiritual folkways rooted in the West African Dahomeyan Vundun. It has a very like rich background. Voodoo's liturgical language is Louisiana Creole, and that's one of its two main heritage languages of both the Voodoo and Louisiana Creole people. It has also become synchronized with the Catholic culture in New Orleans. Louisiana Voodoo is often confused with Haitian Voodoo or Deep South Hoodoo. But while related to the forms of the religion, it is a belief system all on its own. It differs from Haitian voodoo as it emphasizes on Grigris and voodoo queens using hoodoo paraphernalia and Le Grand Zombie. There's a lot of things that don't make sense to me, but I'm sorry, guys. It is through Louisiana voodoo that such terms as Grigri and voodoo dolls were introduced to the American lexicon. So that's where it comes from. Marie's magical career cannot really be substantiated the way that we think about substantiating other claims throughout history because a lot of what she did was behind closed doors. There was a rumor that she had a snake named Zombie after the African god and took part in like occult. We we don't know. We just don't know. It was said by some that she was the granddaughter of a powerful priestess in Santa Dominga and that Marie knew of this like familiar background in that religion. So that's what she anchored herself in. And basically she had to become like the queen of voodoo, right? Because that's what ends up happening. And we're going to get there in a minute. But to do that, you have to overthrow like the current person. And she does. She's amazing. And I'll tell you how she does that in just a minute. The roots of that starts when she was back in the beauty salon and she was getting all that information. And then people were seeking her advice. You know, that old antage, like who needs a therapist when you have a barber, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Like people came to her and they told her what was going on in their lives And she would give them advice and then people started seeking it. But then she had all of these other things to go along with it that was voodoo. And so they would be like, yes, I will take that. So she was actually like meeting with influential people in the community. That's who was coming to her shop. And so eventually they would just start seeking her out all on their own. Mm -hmm. So and again, she would use their servants and like talk with them. And get to know what was going on in their house. And this was her way of being able to better help them. Also, she was obviously a female religious leader. And she was a community 
activist. She would become queen, and when she did, she would have three main places she would hold these rituals. One in her home on St. Anne Street. The second one was in the Congo Square. And the third was, please forgive me, Lake Pontchartrain. I can say words. Not these words, but I can say words. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) When she would do it at her home, clients would come over and converse with her, and she would give them things like grigris and, like, blessings and, like, other things like mojos and stuff like that to help them or give them advice, like, do this and this and this. And then when she would go to the Congo Square, which was a public square, the city of New Orleans set this space aside for both enslaved and freed African people. And this was a place where they could come and culturally worship. Which I was like, that is very progressive of them in the 1800s. Yeah. Right? Like, I was like, cool. That's that's really... We don't always have that even now. There are some religions who cannot express themselves at all. So Marie would gather there on Sundays and they would dance and worship. There were no major ceremonies that took place here. But it was a place of spiritual gathering, like rejuvenation. It was just a place where they could come and kind of be themselves. And worship the way they wanted to. Cool. The last place was at Bayou St. John's, which was in the lake that I cannot pronounce. Pontecharte? Someone's going to be like, it's pronounced this way. And I'm going to be like, yep. (laughs) And this is where all the major ceremonies took place, right? Initiations into the religion. This is places where like kings and queens. But I will like to say that the king was considered the second ranking, not the first. Mm, Okay. Girl power. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And they would sing and dance and play drums and they would like get into like spiritual possession then and they would do all of these gatherings. And of course, white people are assholes because they would go and they would like watch it and then they would come back and they would tell like crazy stories that didn't happen. Oh, human sacrifices and shit like that. Yeah. That didn't happen. So like bad white people. Assholes. Bad white people. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they would come and watch and they would sensationalize it. And then yeah. But she does become queen because there was Santi Didi who had ruled for several years before she did. Basically, Marie had gathered all of these people. People were coming to her. And also this person was kind of like her mentor, like had taught her the like the language and the fundamentals of this. And then she just kind of usurped her. And then she stayed pretty flippin' prominent up until like the 1850s. And there was only one other woman. I mean, there were some other people, but like one other woman like really gave her a run for her money. And her name was Rosalie. And she would definitely challenge Marie. In fact, one of the things that she did is she constructed this big wooden life-size doll and she put it in her yard and she said that it had been imported from Africa. I don't think it was. I think it was just like Rosalie did this and she covered it in beeves and incantation carvings that it was like everyone in the voodoo community was like that's really fucking cool like maybe she should be queen and Marie fucking stole it (laughs) (laughs) and then Rosalie took her to court but the problem was that Marie had all these people in her back pocket so they were like "Mm, you have to permanently remove your doll. (laughs) And then she, (laughs) that was the last of Rosalie running for queen of the voodoo. (laughs) Bye, Rosalie. Now, Marie is really, like, before she came along, it was a lot of the West African or Central African influences. And she came in and is what married it with Catholicism that we know of, like, Louisiana voodoo today, of, like, saints and different things like that. She brought in holy water, incense, statues of saints, Christian prayers, So that's where it kind of melded. And this is, I think, how like the wealthy upper class in New Orleans could kind of get on board with this. Because if you really think about it, like it has some of their religion in it. So, you know, it's kind of, it's really cool. 
Now, before I go any further, we have to talk about the American Horror Story version of Marie Laveau, which I did recently rewatch season three for this episode. And the story in that is different because that is not what happened to her. Basically, in that story, neither of her husbands are mentioned. None of her actual children are mentioned. The difference is, is like, there is no, like, Papa Lagana, I think that's his name, in real life. Marie Laveau did not give her baby up and did not steal a baby every year since then. I can see why someone might perpetuate that because, like, her daughter came in as her own later on. So people might be like, and they looked very similar. So people might have been like, no, she didn't die. That's her. (laughs) But no, she was, there was definitely a two. So like I said, the part I want to talk about is the part where they're doing, like, the fertility ritual. So the girl who goes blind, she comes to Marie and is like, I want to have a baby, but, like, I can't have a baby. I've been trying magic, blah, blah, blah. So she's like, can you help me? And then there's this, like, big ceremony. That is almost an accurate depiction of what was happening. They're kind of ceremonies. And they would take those, like, hot peppers in there and they would put them in their mouths because it believed that the voodoo spirits, like, took notice of pain. That's a true aspect of it. So they would put these like really hot peppers in their mouth and hold it for like hours and hours and hours so that the spirits would come and take notice of them because they would notice their suffering and come. And then you would be like, hey, I want this. Like someone wants to have a baby. Or there was this one story where like this guy was in trouble for like, I think it was like rape or something like that. And the father was like, he didn't do it, but they're going to pin it on him type thing. I don't know the real story. Could have done it. I don't know. This We just know one side of the story. Mm-hmm. And so Marie put like three of those peppers in her mouth and like held them there. And then after she held them there for like hours and hours and hours and she felt the spirits like said it's okay. She put them under the chair of the judge like she snuck in and put them there. Then the judge like let the guy get off. So these are the type of things that like happened to her like happened. And this is how she would make her money. And she would do that. She would sell like the grigris, the amulets and stuff that had like a deeper background. Some of them would bring luck. Some of them would like protect people from evil. Some were charms, some were magical powders, some were cures to ailments. I think also she was a healer. So she had like a working knowledge of like things that could help people get better. And because of that, she would like give people remedies and they would be like, oh, I'm healed through voodoo. But she was an herbalist, like a real herbalist. She would give people like cures or like talisman type things to help them get their desires to destroy their enemies. Like, she would tell people their futures, like, their fortunes. She'd give advice on love and whatnot. Like I said, cures, charms, and hexes. That was her bread and butter. She acted like an oracle, like I said. And she would hold private rituals behind her cottage on St. Anne Street in the French Quarter. And she'd perform exorcisms. She'd offer, like, spiritual sacrifices, which I believe had to do with animals. Not people. No confirmed peoples. And then she would tell, the like, the oral tradition that had been passed on to her. In 1875, Marie gave her last performance and announced she was retiring to her home peacefully on St. Anne Street in New Orleans, but she never fully retired. Like, at this point in time, like, she's like, I'm retired. Bye, guys. Shut my door. People would, like, wait till it was nighttime and, like, pull up and get her just outside of her house. Oh, my God. Help me. Oh, my God. And she'd be like, fine. (laughs) So she would help them. 
And she was actually really active in the community, helping the poor, the imprisoned. She would like give people readings at her house. And I think she also like helped people like that needed it. But she would eventually meet the mortal coil. On June 15th, 1881, Marie died peacefully at her home at the age of 86. Or, you know, if you're, if you subscribe to the other one, it was later. So... (laughs) So when Marie was actually out practicing, there were like articles that came out about her and they would be like, oh, she's evil and all like, and I think it had a lot to do with like the fact that like Christians were like, this is, this is witchcraft. Mm -hmm. She's evil and a devil. But when she died, everyone fucking changed their tune. They were like, oh, she's one of the kindest women who ever lived. Of course. Of course. Right. And it was even said that she died with a smile on her face. Aww. Right? I'm like, aw, happy 86-year-old woman who just died peacefully in your sleep. It's how we all want to go. Her fame actually got her some notoriety for her obituary. Not only did it make the local New Orleans Times, but it made the New York Times. Wow, look at her. And it was reported that the terms they used was like a saintly figure who nursed the sick and prayed incessantly with the deceased and the condemned. So she was like... She was a nice lady. Yeah. I mean, she was a hustler. Like, don't get it twisted. Marie Laveau was a hustler. (laughs) She could still be a nice lady, though. (laughs) She made her coin. Like, she did. But, like, she also cared about people. Marie Laveau was buried in St. Louis's cemetery number one. There was a family crypt of, like, Louise Gaplin, her common-law husband. Mm -hmm. And they, of course, are buried in, like, the above-ground vaults we all see. And it's in one of the three cemeteries that you know, survived Katrina. Yeah. However, it is said that people go to cemetery number two because they believe it is not confirmed, but they believe it is the tomb of Marie Laveau. And when you go there, people actually put three X's on the slab and then they make a wish and Laveau's spirit, Marie's spirit, is supposed to grant you your wish. Oh, that's fun. When we go to New Orleans, we go into Marie Laveau's Mm -hmm. and we make wishes. Yeah. If you've made a wish, if you can, let us know what it was. And did it come true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, there's no real evidence this is actually her tomb. It's just, it is the most visited tomb in New Orleans. People come and bring her things, like they offer coins, Mardi Gras, beads, flowers, rum, and candles. So even in death, Marie Laveau is still rolling in it. <laughs> so whether she lies in the tomb or not, it is a big tourist attraction. The tomb was actually restored in 2014. It was completely restored. And, oh, I guess there's a large fine now if you attempt to ride on the grave. Oh, no. Okay. I wonder if people are watching. I hope not. (laughs) So unless you believe in the American Horror Story version of Marie Laveau, she has gone on to the other side. And, I mean, I hope that she didn't trade innocent babies to live forever. Right. That would be poo-poo. Her cottage still stands in the French Quarter, and it is now her voodoo shop. And it is open during COVID. (gasps) Wow, cool. So Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo is located at 739 Bourbon Street, New Orleans, Louisiana. Zip code is 70116. (laughs) Hours of operation are Sunday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 11 p.m., so like a big-ass time. But on Fridays and Saturdays, it is open from 10 a.m. to 1.30 a.m. Ooh, okay, okay. You can go get your hurricanes. Mm-hmm. And then go get your voodoo stuff. Yeah. You can buy Grigri's online, too, just in case. If you want to, the website will be in the sources page. You can buy stuff like shirts and shit <gasps> like that. Ooh. You can buy blessed chicken feet. You might have chicken feet coming your way. You don't know this. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have not made the decision yet whether I was going to or not. Mm. I don't know. It was just like one of those thought. I had like this thought when I was doing my research, guys. I was like, should I just send Tara random chicken feet? I might wait now and then just randomly, like when she's forgotten, send her chicken feet. Oh my god. <laughs> so there are some ghost stories surrounding her. People say you can still see her wandering around from time to time. Especially in, like, the area that was the Congo Square, or is the Congo Square, around her home. There is a story where she slapped a dude. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, like, I think he was being drunk and being mouthy, and she slapped him in the face, and then, like, ran away and hopped over a fence. Oh, okay. And then, like, the, the owner of the establishment was like, why are you on the floor? And he's like, some lady slapped me. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's Marie Laveau. And I was like, wait, is this, like, a thing? Like, does someone pay someone to dress up like her, slap someone, and then run away? Because that would be hilarious. Because there's, like... A 95% chance the person you're interacting with in New Orleans could be drunk. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, they would not know. True, true. Ghost Adventures has been to this place. However, I can't watch the episode. Even though I own, like, every... I literally have every fucking streaming service there basically (laughs) is. Mm -hmm. You can ask Tara. I have, like, everything. I just signed up for another one today. (laughs) I have a problem. But I was like, it's Discovery Plus. I should probably sign up for that one because it has, like... All of the shit. I already made you a profile. Yay. I will send you the login information later. (laughs) But anyway, that concludes the Marie Laveau story. It is a huge legend that has so many like, well, some people say this and some people say that. But all we know is that she was a boss ass bitch. Yeah, I love that. I love it. So with that, we're going to sign off. Thank you, Christy, so much for picking it. I was so excited. I did a lot of research on this. And if I had put all of it in here, it would have been like a nine hour episode and Tara would have murdered me. Um, It would be (laughs) three spooked girls. Tara telling the story of how she killed Jessica. (laughs) (laughs) But if you want an episode like this, definitely go check out our Patreon page. It's Patreon backslash Three Spooked Girls. $10 and up patrons get to pick an episode and have it dedicated to them. And if you are thinking about this, if you're teetering back and forth, like yes, no, yes, no in your head, do it soon because very soon it's going to become 2022 episodes on the books. Oh my gosh, yeah. Craziness. (laughs) We're like September verging on October. So Mm -hmm. definitely if you're thinking about it, pull the trigger because we love to do, we love to do these Mm -hmm. and we're so appreciative of our patrons. We love all the content we get to create for you guys over there as well. But thank you again, Christy, and we will see you back here on Monday for another episode. Bye, guys. Bye.